0: The voice of reason, the voice of alarm, the voice of stats, the voice of scouts, the voice of Kool-Aid, the voice of dismay, the voice of Devo certainly limp into the All-Star break at 30 and 61, a 3.30 winning percentage. Only Baltimore and Detroit have worse percentages than KC does. And it's Davo. I'm glad you're along for your All-Star break edition of The Dish right here on Clubhouse Conversation. This is the place where we catch up with all your favorite current and former Royals players. And we've got a lot to cover During this all-star break edition of The Dish. Before we get into that, I want to make sure I pimp our social media a bit. Make sure that you are following us on Twitter, first of all, at Royals Clubhouse. That's at Royals Clubhouse on Twitter. Clubhouse Conversation on Facebook. And, of course, you can subscribe to iTunes through the website, clubhouseconversation.com. Bookmark us as well and come back from time to time. As we do have weekly interviews throughout the year of current and former Royals right here on Clubhouse Conversation, and we try to do a dish once a month or so here and break down what's going on with all things Royals, mainly focusing on the big league team. Now, the first half of this year, what's the word that comes to mind for you when you stop and think about that? Think about it for about 10 seconds. If you had to pick one word for the first half of the Royal season, what would you pick for this year? And mine is pretty basic and tried and true, but I'm going to go with disappointing extremely disappointing first half of the year. And I know that 99.99% of people had the Royals finishing under 500 this year, myself included. But I also believe that the majority of people who follow this ball club didn't expect 100-plus losses, which is pretty much a lock at this point. We'll talk about the numbers here in a little bit. But I think the majority of people probably pegged this team to lose somewhere in the 90s the low to mid-90s for games, I had them winning, actually, 76, so going 76 and 86. So I had this team predicted higher than the majority of people. And there's no doubt the Salvador Perez injury before the season did cost the Royals two, three wins in the first half of the season. You can pretty easily say that when you consider the fact that the Royals were so starved for offense early when the pitching was semi-okay, the starting pitching, that is. The first month or so of the year, they got absolutely nothing. The first couple of months, they really got nothing out of the catcher position. There's no doubt Salvi probably uh, adds two or three wins right now to this team. I I don't think that's going out in a limb. So that did hurt, but even with that, there's still no excuse for the Royals to be this bad. So let's go through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Before we preview the second half, who might get traded in the weeks ahead, all that good stuff, let's start with the good, the bad, and the ugly. And believe it or not, there was quite a bit of good this first half of the year. Let's start with Whit Merrifield making his first All Star appearance. About time. The guy should have made it last year. But Whit Merrifield, we've seen the speed go down this year. Of course, leading the league in stolen bases last year with 45. As of right now, Whit has 13. So Whit's probably going to finish. In the mid-20s, he may end up running a little bit more towards the end of the year. I think some of it is he's trying to conserve his legs, moving from second base to a more physically demanding position for your legs in the outfield, playing center and right and having to run down all those balls in that huge Kauffman Stadium outfield. So perhaps we see Witt run a little bit more in the second half. Obviously, probably, well, obviously he's not going to because Mondesi is going to easily beat him in the stolen base. Department. I was going to say I was going to say obviously he's probably not going to win the stolen base crown again this year I I think that's the trains left the depot we know Mondes he's probably the front runner for that assuming he stays healthy in the second half so Witt may not get you know even to 30 stolen bases but let's talk about the power the best of his career the OPS up to 850 and yes I'm aware there's plenty of stats that are semi more useful than OPS, whether you want to talk about war, you want to talk about ISO, you want to talk about WOBA, there's lots of great things to look at that measure different ways of looking at how valuable a baseball player is. But for the the dish here on Clubhouse Conversation, we have fans of all knowledge levels, and OPS actually are still a pretty doggone smart fan if you talk about OPS. So you listening are obviously a very smart fan. We've got some people who are even smarter than me with stats. Not that I'm a genius, because I'm not, but, you know, I kind of ended at ISO and WAR and, and WOBA. I don't quite get into the F-WAR and some of these other things that have been coming out. I'm always a year or two behind the cutting edge, I guess. But, uh, but you know, we'll stick with OPS. With me admitting it's not always the best stat, but it's, it's a pretty basic stat that most people understand. So I think OPS is a good way to measure a player. On-base plus lugging, of course, being that. So 850 is phenomenal for Whit Merrifield, especially if he was playing second base. I mean, that's, you know, that's elite OPS at second base. Even in in the outfield and center field, it's still extremely good. Right field, it's still good. The 850 OPS for Witt, 11 home runs. Now, last year was his high in OPS, and it was 810. So up to 850, we like that. We're seeing a lot more power out of Witt Merrifield this year. And like I said, currently with 11 home runs, I suspect he'll end up right around 21 home runs, 20 or 21 home runs, right around the 840, 850 mark, and rip off close to 30 bags. That's a phenomenal season for Mr. Whit Merrifield. I'm glad that he's able to make an all-star team. And it's a guy that is, of course, mentioned as he should be because of how good he is and because of where the Royals are in trade rumors. And we'll talk about Whit here, a a very interesting guy to discuss when it comes to you know, trade possibilities. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But next guy on the good list, Hunter Dozier, 899 OPS. But you know what? Screw that. We're rounding up here on Clubhouse Conversation. 900 OPS, damn it. There's no 899 for Hunter Dozier. 900 OPS, we're going to call it. What a first half for Hunter Dozier. And a guy that missed, what, three weeks at the big league level, almost four weeks. I mean, he basically missed, what, 25%? of the first half of the season, and still in just 248 at-bats, he's pacing for 33 home runs. Should have been an all-star. 13 home runs right now. I'm, I'm saying pacing had he played a full season. I'm not saying pacing where we're at. 13 right now, obviously he's not going to hit 33 or 34, but had he played healthy the whole year and gotten his at-bats, a guy that probably would have hit 32 to 36 home runs this year. I think that's pretty safe to say. But 248 ABs, he has 13 at the time. At the moment, sorry, with that 900 OPS. And a guy who's, no one talks about Hunter Dozier's glove. We know, we've talked to both him and Rhino Hearn right here in the ditch. You can go back and listen to both interviews. We had Rhino on uh, right before the season started. They talked, or he talked, I should say, or they both talked about it. But he talked in in particular, Ryan did, about how much, you know, him and Dozier working out together in Texas in the offseason, how much they've worked on their defense, taking hundreds of ground balls a day. And and it shows. I think Hunter Dozier, you know, we talk about the bat. But he's made some phenomenal plays out there defensively, too. So I want to make sure we give him some credit as he continues to just improve and improve in all facets of the game. And it's awesome to see Hunter Dozier turning into, uh, could we call him a cornerstone, a franchise-type building player? Is it too early to call him that? I mean, getting into his late 20s, it's now, you know, his, his peak years are now the next two, three, four years. So I certainly think that Hunter Dozier is a guy that the Royals can And should build around. I I think it looks real. Everything looks real out there with him. And, you know, some guys take longer to to bloom. It took a little bit longer than Hunter and the Royals would have hoped. But, man, he just crushes the baseball. You make a mistake to Hunter Dozier and you're going to pay for it the majority of the time. Exit velocity, I should look that one up. That's another stat I love. I should have added some of those here because that's one of my new favorite stats. Exit velocity for him is insane, though, if you go back and look. Even in, in the month of April, remember, wasn't he hitting something like, I want to say like April 20th, he was hitting like 180 or something. I mean, he, he was murdering the baseball the first three or four weeks and getting nothing. Imagine what those numbers would be if he had a little bit more luck on his side and or if he hadn't gotten hurt. So what a phenomenal first half for Hunter Dozier. I think you got to call him the Royals MVP of the first half offensively. Because with Witt, I mean, Witt's phenomenal. He's two-hit Witt. He's consistent. You know what you get every day. And we expected that from him. I don't think anybody expected this from Hunter Dozier. So, to me, Hunter Dozier is my first half MVP offensively. A couple other names are right up there. Jorge Soler, the next one I'm going to key on here on the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jorge Soler, the 805 OPS. That's fine. Of course, not elite, but it's still very good. 805 OPS for Soler with 23 home runs. That'll play Definitely prime to break Mike Moustakas' club record. No one seems to talk about it. And a guy that gets a lot of hate from Royals fans, especially Royals Twitter. I mean, people like Jorge Soler. I'm not saying that. But it, it, hate, not in the literal sense. But hate as in people seem to kind of doubt him quite a bit. People seem to kind of talk down. Well, yeah, but everyone's... You know, the ball's juiced, everyone's hitting home runs, who cares? Oh, well, he strikes out a lot and he hits a lot of home runs. We knew that was what it was going to be. We, we knew that the book on Soler was if he could stay healthy, he would become what the Royals have gotten this year. And that's a guy that's going to push 40 home runs, a guy that can't really play very much defense, decent arm, but otherwise no range. Not the great greatest vertical jump as we've seen a few times in the first half, and and credit to Ned Yost, he's used him very well as far as DHing him a good majority of the time to help him stay healthy and to help get him off the field defensively, because Solaire would be the weakest link typically on this team defensively. So a tip of the cap to Ned on how he's used Solaire the first half to help him stay healthy and keep his legs fresh from kind of rotating him in and out of the field and into the DH spot and, you know, using wit out there a lot since Nicky Lopez came up. It's been very nicely done by Ned. So Jorge Soler, I think the best is still to come. I don't think we've seen the best. I think the pitch recognition will get better. He'll never be a guy that's going to, you know, walk a whole bunch and get on base. He's not going to be an on-base machine ever. He's always going to strike out more than you wish he did. But that's how he is. He's going to also murder mistakes. And even that's some good pitches out of the ballpark. It's a guy that we've seen use the opposite way with power, which is very nice. He's not completely pull, pull happy. He does pull sometimes maybe more than he should in certain situations. But we have seen him use the right side of the field as well, which is good to see from Jorge Soler. Now another guy who's interesting to talk about is Alberto Mondesi, right? Because if you think about it, it's like on one hand he's been great, right? Right every day. On the other hand, he's been disappointing. Now, what I mean by that, before you murder me, the 743 OPS should be better for his skill set. And of course, you know his problem is is mainly the same as Jorge Soler. He's trigger happy. He swings at balls outside of the striker zone, outside of the strike zone. You know, the breaking ball being his kryptonite. So Alberto Mondesi, when he gets a little bit more play discipline, he's a guy that I do expect to get considerably better throughout the years, you know, a handful of years younger than Jorge Soler, and a guy that I think skill set will allow him to see the ball better, to learn the pitchers better, to learn situations better, and I think he will walk more. I think he will strike out less, and that will catapult that OPS up from 743 and more towards 800 where I think it should be and where I think it ultimately will be for several seasons in a row as Alberto Mondesi becomes one of the best players in the game. He Obviously, he's a slam-dunk cornerstone franchise player. He is your franchise player. Hunter Dozier is a, a guy that's in that same sentence, though. Those two right there, uh, and then I guess as long as Witt is here, he'd be your third. And maybe Sorolari of your fourth. So Mondesi, on one hand, the 743 is not super impressive, and he was hurt a bit as well. Let's remember that. Seven home runs, 28 stolen bases. 28 stolen bases is phenomenal. The guy's going to rip off close to 60 bags if he's healthy. More than that if he starts walking more and getting on base a bit more. This is a guy that could easily steal 75 bases in the future at the major league level if he can start to learn the strikes a little bit more. Not this year, but in the future. I do think he'll push 60 this year if he stays healthy. Because I do think he'll walk a bit more and, and learn more as, as the second half goes on. Maybe I'm just hoping that. But I do believe it will happen. So on one hand, the disappointment, kind of the OPS, the strikes out. The, he strikes out more than you want. Uh, the plate discipline leaves something to be desired in a lot of situations. He's too good of a hitter. You see a lot of three-pitch strikeouts with him. And at bats seem to kind of snowball sometimes with modesty. So, yes, on on one hand, you feel like there's way more to come. So on one hand, you could say it's borderline. Disappointing. I know it's ridiculous to say that because, on the other hand, he's setting a new record every day. You know, he's the first shortstop to have this amount of triples and this amount of stolen bases before the All Star break since 1961. And he's the first shortstop in the first two months to have, you know, this, this, and this ever. And he's on one of only three shortstops to do this, blah, blah, blah. So, on one hand, he's setting records. But I I think what I I say that he's... I'm putting him in the good category, by the way. But I think what I say he's borderline disappointing to me It's because I know how damn good he's going to be. And I know the skill set is off the charts. And I know there's so much more in there. And I know that the the pitch recognition, the strikeouts are going to go down. He's going to walk more. I just know there's more in there with Mondesi. So I'm slightly disappointed by the 743. On the same hand, he's having a historic season (laughs) for shortstops. So you kind of have to look at it Independent his position, I guess, is how I'm looking at it. Yeah, for shortstop, he's like having an historic first half of the season in a lot of different ways, right? But I look at him as more than just a shortstop. I look at him as you know, as, as his skill set. I don't want to just pigeonhole him only as a shortstop. I want to see him take even a further step, which he will. I have no doubts about that. Mondesi is going to be a hell of a player. The Royals are so damn lucky to have him. I really hope this winter they can lock him up and buy out maybe a year or two of his free agency. This is actually the perfect kind of season to maybe do that. You know, where he's not having he's having a great season, but not a completely monster season. This could be the perfect kind of year to get him to sign a deal. I think, you know, if he has a completely monster goes gaga, you know, he's probably not going to want to sign. But maybe the Royals can get something done because of that. So another bright side of having a very good first half, maybe not, you know, historic first half, although he is having a historic first half. I don't freaking know. He's a very interesting study. All right. I'd like to hear your thoughts on Mondesi, by the way. Hit me up at Royals Clubhouse. Leave some comments. I'll retweet you. I want to hear your thoughts about this, because to me, it's so hard to judge him as far as looking at his first half of the season. Because on one hand, he's setting records. On the other hand, you're like, but there's so much more in there. There's so much more improvement. So that's how I see him. Alex Gordon moving along. Dan, that we're rounding up again. 799 OPS, not on my watch. 800 OPS with 10 jacks for Alex. Should be winning his seventh gold glove. I'd love to see him get eight and match Frank White. So hopefully Alex is back again for at least one more year. The Royals could certainly use him for one more year. You know, there are some outfielders moving their way up. Khalili and and Bubba Starling and some other guys. Uh, having nice years. But your Nick Heaths, your Blake Perkins, your Suley Matias, some of these guys, your Brewer Hinklins, Hicklins are, are still several, not several, but still a couple of years away most likely. So certainly Alex has a lot of value back next year as you will not bring back Billy Hamilton. I hope. I mean, I wouldn't have thought Lucas Duda would be back. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but, yeah, if Alex can end up around 775, 780, OPS-wise, 16, 17 home runs, and win a gold glove with his leadership and work ethic and the way he loves Kansas City and identifies with the players, that's a guy you got to bring back next year. Right? And that's a, that's a guy that enables you to move a field. I mean, the Royals, I feel like, I, I don't know this because I really only follow the Royals inside and out. I follow all 30 teams, but only the Royals inside and out. I feel like the Royals are more so than most organizations concerned with Faces of franchise and marketing and, and putting butts in the seats because of certain players. I think the Royals want you, and we've heard Dayton Moore many times say, you know, I want a kid growing up in KC to know his players and I know this guy's going to be here year after year. And that's healthy for the game and for the teams. But at the same time, a guy like Whit Merrifield, that we'll talk about in a few minutes, this could be the perfect time to move him. And you might say, well, but he puts butts in the seats and he's extremely popular and marketable. Bringing back an Alex Gordon, getting back a Salvador Perez healthy, having a Mondesi and a Dozier. Some of these guys might enable you to move. Bring him back Gordon. I I guess what I'm trying to say is getting Salvi back and bringing back Gordo could help you potentially offset that if you did choose to move Merrifield. We'll talk about that in a few minutes if they should or not. Chesler Cuthbert's been a huge surprise, though let's wait more than 125 ABs. The defense has left something to be desired. um, Both corners when he's played both. Um, But The bat certainly has been there. And I heard something very interesting from Ned Yost that I'd never heard before. A few weeks back, in a pregame, he was talking to the media and said that they had been encouraging Cuthbert to get at bats in the Winter League for a couple of years. And off that great year when he was up here, not a great year, but that good year he had up here, what year was that, 2016? Is that what it was, the year before he got hurt? I believe it was. And they wanted him to go get more at bats, and he said, no, I want to lift weights. Came back and, and struggled, and then, of course, got hurt a couple of times. And this was the first winner they said, though. Ned said, though, that he actually went to Winterball and got at bats. He'd kind of gone against what the organization wanted, which I found interesting, especially they moved out the 40, which to me seems semi premature when they did it. So I found that interesting. That maybe it was as simple as getting more at-bats, like the Royals had wanted him to do the last couple of years when he hadn't. So, interesting thing I picked up, but a nice start to the year for Cuthbert. We'll see what he can do in the second half. Certainly, it's, it's the year to find out what you have there. Now, that's the main guys I would call good with position players. As far as pitching goes, it was tough to call any of these guys really good. And I know that that sounds harsh, and that sounds hard to believe until you actually sit down and look at the numbers. I would call three guys good, but even a couple of these guys are borderline good. I mean, I think solid might be a better word. But Danny Duffy, you've got to call good. You know, he was hurt to start the season, which will keep him from getting to his ultimate goal of 200 innings that we keep hoping is going to happen. May or may not. Hopefully it will in the future. So being hurt on its own is difficult to you know to judge him because he missed the first month of the season, but he does have seventy five and two thirds, so he has given the Royals some length the majority of the time. It's still a guy that throws too many pitches and walks too many guys sometimes, but a four two eight ERA in seventy five and, and two thirds, it's more along the league average lines, but it's borderline good, right? The WHIP is north of one point three though, that's got to get better. So I would still call Danny Duffy good, also because I love the guy. I mean, I I might be slightly biased, but he would probably tell you he's solid. I bet bet if you asked him, he'd say, I've been solid. I've been okay. I'll call him good for this exercise. Ian Kennedy I'll also call good, despite the gas can being thrown on the fire recently when he's been coming in. Man, he was looking so good there for a while. Been damn good. 42 Ks and 35 innings for the season, 360 ERA. And I know ERA for relievers is kind of a worthless stat. Not worthless, but not near as telling as it is for a starter because of the sample size and because of the whole inherited runner thing, whether you allow inherited runners to score or somebody else comes in and saves you or doesn't save you. So ERAs can be kind of misleading for relievers. Kennedy's been good, though, if you watch him pitch the majority of the time. I'd say three out of four times out there. And again, you could argue he's been solid and not good. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say you're wrong on that. You know what's funny though? The third guy that's been that I'm putting in the good category. There's really only one guy in on this team that's been <laughs> that's been truly good. Since I mean, we can't count poor Chris Ellis that had one scoreless appearance, the Rule Five selection, and then the Royals released him, and that was it. Returned him to the previous team. We can't really count Chris Ellis because he only had he has a zero ERA, one appearance. The other guy, though, that to me that's been good this year that I'm putting in this category is a guy that again, kind of like Cuthbert's hardly been up here. But Brian Flynn has been really good. <laughs> Only eight games so far, but a two eight two ERA. I've always thought there was something there with Flynn. It's a guy that just can't stay healthy, and you know, falling through the barn in Oklahoma last offseason, not this offseason, but the one before that is just the, is just the you know was icing on the cake. He's had injuries before that too. Of course, a the guy that got for way long time ago from the Marlins for Aaron Crow. Remember that name, Aaron Crow from a Royals All Star. So I think Brian Flynn's been good. I've always thought there's something there, and you know what? Brian Flynn could be a guy that could get dealt. A big lefty that can give you multiple innings has been good. That's dirt cheap. They're not going to get a lot for him. I'm not saying they're going to get much for him. When I say they're going to get something for somebody like him, you're talking like a guy that might become like the number 35 prospect in your organization. They're not, you know, a fringe major league type with, you know, the ceiling of somebody that's a fringe major league player, either a reliever or a utility player. That's their ceiling. That's the kind of prospect they would probably get for a Brian Flynn, but he could get him something, possibly, if he keeps this up for a couple more weeks. And you could also, by the way, again, I'll go back to that word disappointing Homer, well, Homer Bailey is kind of almost in the good. The, the, okay, the rest of the pitching is disappointing. Besides the three, except for Homer Bailey and Brad Keller, have been kind of solid. But I mean, Homer Bailey four eight zero in ninety innings. So I mean, if the guy gave us a hundred and you know seventy innings, in the five ERA, you can't call that bad for what he was. You could probably actually borderline put him in the good category. I wouldn't completely disagree with that because he's had some very nice outings, some blowups as well. Most notably that one at Tampa Bay that may or may not have cost your host a lot of money on DraftKings fantasy baseball. But I digress. Anyway, Hunter, uh, not Hunter, Homer Bailey, four eight zero in ninety innings. You could borderline call him good. I'd call him solid. I'd call Brad Keller solid as well, but you know, a whip north of 1.4 for him. His needs to be in the one twos, considering he doesn't miss enough bats. Brad Keller can't be walking guys, and he did, especially the first six weeks of the year. A guy that shouldn't be in the upper to mid-fours with a 1-4 north ERA, or uh, whip, sorry. So, disappointing-wise, you can just pretty much rattle off the 6-9 through nine in the Royals lineup the majority of the, of the season, and you can rattle off the pitching staff, the five guys I didn't mention there. So, That's the good and the bad. Now, the ugly. I need to calm down here. I promise myself I'm not going to get worked up on this. This is not easy for me. The ugly. Let's get into this. The masochists out there are like, hell yeah, man. Let's talk about it. All right. Chris Owings. 133 batting average. Chris Owings' batting average while with the Royals. Was equivalent to a five foot six female's healthy weight. So a five six female with healthy body weight had the same batting average and her weight as Chris Owings had. That's not good. That's not good at all. I want offensive linemen. I want three hundred thirty pounds, six foot seven NFL offensive lineman. I want three thirty hitters. I want my hitters to be offensive linemen in the NFL, not. Uh, not gymnasts, (laughs) female gymnasts. We don't don't want that. Although, I guess 5'6", probably too tall. But you get what I'm saying. 413 OPS for Chris Owings. Yes, that's his OPS. That's on-base plus slugging, 413. If you think that's historically bad, you're right. Oh, but we're not done. 135 ABs for Owings. He struck out 55 times. How is that even possible for a guy you pick up to play... You know, To steal bases, to play everywhere on the field, to be a good clubhouse guy and put the bat in the ball, the Royals got nothing. 55Ks and 135 at-bats. That's almost impossible to do, striking out every 2.6 at-bats. I'm not exaggerating right now when I say this. I'm being serious. There are guys the Royals have down in Idaho Falls, Burlington, in rookie ball, or Lexington in low A, I'm willing to bet that just about every hitter down there could come up to the major leagues and not strike out that much. Now, they may not hit a lot better, some of them. I'm not saying uh, certainly probably a third of those guys wouldn't hit a lot better overall average. But I'm willing to bet you just about every single guy in rookie ball or low A could come up and put the ball in play every three at-bats in the major league level. Or, sorry, two out of three at-bats in the major league level. I mean, that's, or yeah, no, every three at-bats, that'd be right. Yeah. That's insane. That was a disaster of a signing. We'll talk about money here in a second, too. Oh, we will. Don't worry. Billy Hamilton. I-, I love Billy Hamilton, first of all. I was one of the few people who loved the signing, and I was wrong. I really thought there was more with Billy Hamilton. I, I get the signing for Hamilton. See, I don't get the Chris Owings giving him $3 million. What was it exactly? I have it written down here. Was it $3 million on the nose? Uh, blah, 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 blah. Yes, $3 million on the nose for Chris Owings. So, giving Chris Owings $3 million, when you've got guys like Josh Harrison, who are all-stars, signing for less per year, AAV, you know, and he hasn't necessarily had a great year either, got hurt, but you get the point. I mean, you had guys in the minor leagues. I mean, you've got Roberto Artiega, that is an upgrade, who was making the league minimum. You've got Eric Mejia. You've got Jackson Flores. You've got... Nikki Lopez before the year. I mean, you've got all these guys that could have come up here for the league minimum. Why are you spending $3 million on Chris Owings? Now, I don't get that one. I did get the Billy Hamilton signing, although north of $5 million, maybe he's a bit steep for him. But I got it because of the tools and dreaming a little bit. You saw him at Great American Small Park and that small park there where there's not a lot of real estate for him to hit line drives. And I'm sure the Royals thought we'll get him to bunt a little bit more and we'll get him to hit line drives. It's a bigger outfield. We'll be able to get him on base a lot more. He'll be able to rip off 35, 40 bags and be a really good piece for us defensively. And a guy that if we we somehow compete is a stud for us, dirt cheap in the grand schemes. And if we don't compete, it'll be a good enough contract where we can flip him because he's going to have a better year. We believe in the tools. I get that. I actually get the Billy Hamilton signing, but it's been a disaster. And you can criticize me. Most people are right about this one. I've been right on many when you were wrong, but you've been right on this one when I was wrong. Billy Hamilton's been awful. 284 on base, 555 OPS. Again, the strikeout bug, striking out every 3.9 at-bats, 61 Ks and 240 at-bats. Only 23 walks. Worst year of his career offensively, too. And I believe his days as a starting major league outfielder will come to a conclusion July 31st, one way or the other. Either he's dealt or becomes a bench player for the Royals, if not. Lucas Duda, why the hell is he here I don't think there was literally one person who thought this was a good idea, outside of the organization. And I guarantee you, several people in the organization didn't get it either. If you go talk to some of those analytics guys and even some of Dayton's, you know, right hand man, Lucas Dude is a respected man. He's a, he's a good human being. He's a good clubhouse guy. I get that, but but why? He's not good anymore. He hasn't been good in a few years. He doesn't fit your mo. He can't play defense, which we saw in the World Series a few years ago. Too soon. Sorry. We know he doesn't play defense. He can't run. And on the opening day roster, you already had Ryan O'Hearn and Frank Schwindel and Terrence Gore. Like, talk about horrible bots to roster management. And they're paying him over a million dollars, Lucas Duda. Why? For what purpose? I'm I'm not even saying now. I'm saying before that. Why did they pick him up? At the time, it made no sense. You already had two first basemen on the roster. In theory, you were going to platoon O'Hearn and Schwindel. I, I don't get it. 537 OPS is just god-awful for a corner player. 28 Ks and 89 at-bats, so he's striking out every three at-bats. Sound familiar? 157 batting average. No clue why he's here or why he ever was here. Did they really think they were going to get something for him at the deadline? Because how did that work out for him last year? While we're on the topic of ugly and roster mismanagement, Brian Goodwin letting him go to keep Lucas Duda, to keep Terrence Gore mind-blowingly ridiculous for a guy that worked his tail off and worked on some things in the spring you wanted him to and a guy that's the same age as Terrence Gore Brian Goodwin's 28 years old let's not act like he's 33 I mean Brian Goodwin's the same age as Terrence Gore he's still pretty young he's in his in theory in his prime years now for the Angels 337, 434, 772 so good he's been good not great let's be real. Probably Brian Goodwin is a fourth outfielder on a good team. But he's pacing for close to 15 home runs and an upper 700 OPS. He'd be like the fifth best hitter on this baseball team. And you had him for virtually nothing. And he's better defensively than than a a decent amount of guys. Now, he does not take some banana routes. I, I, I have seen him make some awful plays on defense, but compared to Jorge Soler, he's still better defensively. So at the time, you know, before Cuthbert, before Lopez, and all this, you could have had, you know, Merrifield at second and O'Hearn at first, and your DH of Soler and Goodwin and Wright. I mean, it would have worked just fine, especially in the early portions of the season. So, Goodwin's still an upgrade defensively over Soler. That's probably about it on this roster. Pro- actually, he's probably an upgrade over Gore as well. Gore does make some spectacular catches, but Gore looks like a little leaguer out there. A number of times. I've seen him twice this year coming in on ground balls. They go through his leg. That's the stuff I did in freshman baseball in high school. He makes spectacular catches. I never did that. So, but I don't get it. I I just, and we've talked about this ad nauseum. I'll I'll let it go. But it was just completely, I mean, this this is not hindsight 2020. The whole roster management, the Duda and and the Goodwin and the, the Gore. I mean, this stuff is not 2020. At all. I mean, this was obvious at the time. So that's, I think it's fair. I've given the Rose a lot of credit during this dish. I, I think that we need to talk about that being a disaster because it was. The roster management was and still kind of is. I mean, you've got Richard Love Lady down in Omaha still. He's not one of the best seven or eight relievers in your organization. The service time doesn't matter at this point. Where's he at? Bubba Starling still down there? What does he have to prove? You want to put butts in the seats? We talked about the marketing with Whit Merrifield and stuff. Bring the guy up from Gardner. You'll sell a few more tickets. A couple hundred tickets a game for the rest of this year. Extra if you get him up here, add some more of a storyline. And they will. That's coming. I know it's coming. But, you know, I would hate to see him get hurt or something as he's done in the past and then just miss out completely. That's all I'm saying. Now, so that's the ugly offensively. The ugly with pitching. Boxberger's been DFA'd, Jake Diekman, Willie Peralta, Jorge Lopez have just all been disasters. Really, really disappointed in Lopez. I thought there was something there. Especially, I mean, you take a perfect game into the ninth inning at Target Field and now you're just getting lit up like a Christmas tree. It doesn't make any sense. He's been a disaster. And most guys on this pitching staff have gone backwards this year. The majority of these guys have. And that's why I think it's fair to ask, is Cal Eldred the right guy as Royals pitching coach? I'm not saying right now they should make a move. I think it's pointless. I think you wait till after the year. But I don't see how you could bring him back. I mean, all these relievers you've brought in, these veterans, have been a disaster. Jorge Lopez has been awful. Jake Dunitz has been borderline awful. Brad Keller has been disappointing. I mean, you go all up and down, the pitching should be better than it is. It really should. It's not a good pitching staff, but this pitching staff should not be this bad. Something's going on. Unless all these guys just have lost it at the same time and they all have dead arms. I mean, it's always a possibility that the pitching coach has nothing to do. And in general, I think pitching coaches, hitting coaches have very little to do with anything at at that level. When you get to that level, you either have it or you don't. You've had enough coaches throughout your life and you've got your people in your camp and people you trust. So in general, I do think hitting and pitching coaches are a bit overrated, but I mean, come on. Now, Judas, a guy that I picked before the year with Royals Insider Jake Lutz, we went through our preseason awards and go back and listen to that if you really want to. I don't know why you would want to at this point, but if you did want to, I had him picked as my pitcher of the year. I thought he would be the Royals pitcher of the year. Wrong. Five three three ERA, one four five WHIP. The FIP and other peripherals say it's real too, so it's not like it's unlucky. He's been bad. Brad Keller, uh, you know, has been okay, but again, that it's it's that. One four five whip. We talked about that earlier. It's got to be in the one twos if you're not going to miss bats. All right. One final ugly. It's a number seventeen point seven. What do you think that means? Seventeen point seven. Seventeen point seven, as in seventeen point seven million. The Royals have spent on Billy Hamilton, Willie Peralta, Chris Owings, Jake Diekman, Brad Boxberger. And Lucas Duda. I'm not. I'm not saying that Craig Kimbrell or Dallas Keuchel would have signed a one-year 17.7 deal with the Royals. In fact, they both probably wouldn't have. But there's. Pl- I mean, you could make the argument the Royals could have gone for a guy like that, or you know, some of these other mid-range. Get your Marwin Gonzalez or some of these other guys that signed like two-year, 16 million type contracts. And I know it doesn't work like that because the Royals still would have had to. You know, let's see. Wait a minute. That's. One, two, three, four. That's six players times a league minimum. So I guess that's what? Six times six is three point six. So that's about three and a half million you'd have to spend no matter what on league minimum players. So three and a half minus seventeen point seven. That's still fourteen point two million. If the Royals would have gotten league minimum, you know, promoted Bubba, let's say for league minimum instead of Hamilton. Brought up Love Lady instead of Peralta. Brought up Artiega instead of Owings. Brought up Stamont instead of Diekman. Kept Brian Goodwin instead of Duda. I mean, all these things you could have had league minimum guys and had seventeen and had sorry and had fourteen point two million dollars left over. You could have gotten Marvin freaking Gonzalez for two years, fourteen million. Yeah, I mean, uh, it hurts me. It's it's just frustrating. That's ugly. That's seventeen point seven. David Glass has got to be saying five point two five for Billy Hamilton, three point two five for Willie Peralta, three million for Chris Owings. 2.75 for Jake Diekman, 2.2 for Brad Boxberger, and 1.25 for Lucas Duda. Whew. That's not pretty. And that money certainly could have gone to better places, not to mention the roster construction could have been better. It's fair. That's fair criticism. And I, and I believe that Dayton Moore would agree with you. And, and, and some of that he would say is retrospect, which is true. I don't think, now, in fairness, too, I don't think anybody in their right mind expected Jake Diekman to turn into Brandon Maurer. Especially after the way he was really solid from late April into early June. But I mean, Willie Peralta, yeah, he had a nice run last year, but I d I don't know. Who no one was gonna give him three point two five million on this market? Why did they pay him that much? Boxberger for two point two, I guess was an okay risk. I mean, that's the thing, but a couple of these were just mind blowingly stupid. The Duda signing for one point two five was dumb. The Owing signing for three million was dumb. The Peralta signing for three point two five was dumb. And Hamilton was overpaid by a million or two. I don't know. I would've wish we would have had Marwin Gonzalez. That's all I'm going to say. All right, 71 games left. The Royals have to go 33 and 38 to avoid 100 losses. Can they do that? Can they go 33 and 38? I, I don't think so. Although I do think the Royals will be better in the second half. I think you'll have some dead weight moved either via the trade or the DFA. You'll get some better and more deserving, hungrier, younger players with upside coming up. Your love ladies, your starlings, your Stamonts, et cetera. And someone tweeted me, will we see Jackson Coar this year? No chance in hell. Early, you'll see him is probably June 1st of next year. And I think, it's, I think you have to hope he comes up next year the way he's pitching. He's lighting the world on fire. I think there's an outside chance the Royals move him up to, uh, to uh, Omaha for maybe two or three starts at the end of this year. I can see that. Start him in Omaha next year, get past the service time cutoff, and see him around June 1st is what I think will happen, hopefully, with Coar. And Lynch probably not too far behind him if he's able to stay healthy. Bubich has been awesome down there. Singer is really the only guy. boland has been great. Of all the starting pitching studs we have down there, really Singer is the only one you maybe a little bit concerned about the last month. But he was remember how great he was at Wilmington. Remember it's very small sample size at Northwest Arkansas. Remember also the Texas League is a paradise for hitter hitters as well. So I think this team finishes twenty nine and forty two to end the season. That puts them at fifty nine and one hundred and three. I think they lose one hundred and three games. Probably end up with around the number four or five draft pick. Probably the four. That's the four. I think the Tigers end up worse, certainly. The run differential is a lot worse than the Royals. And definitely Baltimore. Those two are going to be one and two. Royals probably end up... Yeah, they could get third, I guess. I guess the Marlins aren't quite as bad as we thought, but the Marlins could end up being a little worse, too. So probably the three or four pick, most likely, in the draft for the Royals. The so, last thing is who gets moved. A few weeks ago, I would have told you Jake Diek- Diekman looked like a slam dunk and an, and an actual valuable piece. And he'll still get moved. He's still a piece that a fringe team see the way Deakman's pitching right now, he's the kind of guy, do you remember back in 2003 when the Royals were, you know, competing, but kind of fringe competitors and they added Al Levine and Graham Lloyd. Do you remember that when they added Jose Lima? I mean, a a fringe competing team will take a Deakman because they can get him for free and they know they might be able to channel him in a new uh, atmosphere with, with where the games mean something. And there's a new pitching coach and, You know, he's pitching for a contract, and he's excited again, and, you know, they might say, we can get two months out of this guy, let's just try him out. I I could see, I I think a fringe team will take him. I think the way he's pitching, you know, I think he was a guy that could go to, like, Philadelphia a month ago. You know, a real contender, a Dodgers type would have liked him. I I don't think so anymore, but I do think a fringe type team, who's a team? Like, the Rockies or something, or... The Padres, you know, I, I could see a team like that taking a flyer on Diekman. I think he will get moved. Ian Kennedy, again, a month ago, you could have maybe thought that, okay, if the Royals eat two-thirds of next year in the buyout, they could at least get a lottery ticket. It's not going to happen. That's not happening. He's owed too much money. No, he's not getting moved. Deakman, by the way, will get you, again, like a number 30 or 35 prospect in your organization. A guy that, when you move these guys I'm talking about, like Deakman or a couple guys I'm about to talk about, the kind of guy you're getting back is like a Blake Perkins type. Actually, not as good as Blake Perkins. A little half step below Blake Perkins. Blake Perkins, a guy that profiles as a potential major leaguer. A guy that's patient and, and is very solid, has good tools, but nothing sticks out. Doesn't have five tools, not great. You're going to get that kind of prospect. You're going to get like a Paulo Orlando type. Remember when the Royals traded Horacio Ramirez and they got back Paulo Orlando? That's the kind of guy I'm thinking about. You're going to get like a fringe type guy that could be a utility player or a relief pitcher if all goes well. If you trade a guy like a Deekman That's what you're getting right now. you ain't getting a lot. Homer Bailey, I think, has some value. I think the Royals can move him. I don't know if they will. They may look at, and that's a guy they might just say, well, we'll just eat it and and let him finish it out. We need innings. Because let's face it, the Royals don't have a ton of guys knocking on the door to take innings in the starting rotation. Or, you know, already talking about the opener thing, seeing some Zimmer and Stalmont opening in the second half. You know, Jake Kalish is a guy that's been really good for Omaha, but the Royals don't see him as a prospect. He's a little bit older. I'd love to see him get a chance. Love the kid. But but the point is, you don't have a lot of options, so I can see the Royals holding on to Bailey just for the innings, just to help conserve the younger guys. You know, not having to move guys like Coar up and not having to overuse relievers. I think I think there's a good chance Bailey sticks with, although he does have some value. And if he ends up having two or three really good outings, all bets are off. If you can get like a number twenty prospect in your organization, if you can get a Blake Perkins back, then you do it. Billy Hamilton will get you a lottery ticket. C. Deekman. I expect him to be moved. I I think Diekman and Hamilton are sure things. And you know who else I think could really be moved that no one talks about, funny enough, that we didn't think a month ago? I think Martin Maldonado actually might have the most value of all the Royals guys that could be moved. So if I'm a betting man, I'm saying Maldonado, Diekman, Hamilton getting moved for sure. I don't see anyone taking Duda or Peralta at all. But the way that yeah, I mean you have to look at the way that Maldonado's been hitting recently. We know how good he is defensively and framing. He's got value, especially if a catcher or two goes down with an injury. Even if not, he'd be an upgrade for just about every team in the major league as a backup. So I, I do think Martin Maldonado's a sure thing to get moved I think he probably has the most value. I think he gets you a number twenty prospect, maybe even a number fifteen type prospect if somebody needs a starting catcher bad enough. Like the Royals did when they signed him. Before the year. Last name, Witt Merrifield, of course. Royals aren't going to do it. Do I think they should move him? I do, actually. As much as I hate to say that. If you can get two top 100 prospects in baseball from Merrifield, which you would, with three years left in that deal, and what does he owe, like $13 million or something after this year? $14 million after this year? That's, that's insane how cheap that is. And he's in his prime years right now. So a team trying to win right now? He can play anywhere on the field? Yes, please. Yes, absolutely. The Royals could get a top fifty prospect and probably an eighty to hundred prospect for him. Two top hundred prospects from Merrifield, and let's say you get another guy that's like your fifteenth best prospect. You get like, like let's say the Royals get one one guy that instantly becomes their third or fourth best prospect, and another guy that becomes like their tenth best prospect, and another guy that becomes like their seventeenth or eighteenth best prospect. I think you do that for Whit Merrifield, don't you? To get three guys, and you hopefully you hit on two of them. We saw what happened last time the Royals did a deal like that with Grinky and he doesn't have quite the value that Grinky does, but it's honestly not that far behind because he plays every day, and he and you get him for three and a half years. I mean, his value is not far behind what Grinky got back in the day. I feel confident in saying that. So, the Royals can ask for the moon with him, and if they get if they get close to it, if they get the stars, I I think if I'm GM, I make the move because I've got Mondesi locked at shortstop for the next hopefully the next decade. And I've got Nicky Lopez at second base, who I believe in. And behind that, you've got Bobby Witt Jr. three years away. I mean, you're probably not going to win next year. You see if Lopez is the answer. Uh, You've got Lopez and and Mondesi at second short. Bam, you're done. You've got Artiaga as your utility guy. You've got Eric Mejia. You've got Flores. But even down the farm, you've got some guys that are hitting. Mr. Cancel could move over there. You've got, um, you know. I don't know. It, it just seems like there's plenty of depth down there with wit and all this wit and Mondesi, Bobby Witt, that is, and Mondesi and Lopez and Cancel and Artiaga and Flores. and the, You know you can all sign on the free agent, too. I mean, we'll see what the Royals do, though. It'll be very interesting. Well, thanks so much for listening to this 45-minute edition of The Dish right here on Clubhouse Conversation. Hopefully, you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed talking. Hopefully, I wasn't too much of a bumbling idiot. I would love to hear your thoughts if you listened. to Dave O at clubhouseconversation.com. D-A-V-E-O at clubhouseconversation.com is the email. Of course, you can also tweet us at Royals Clubhouse and on Facebook as well. Keep it here. Got another Royals current interview later this week. Look for it Thursday or Friday right here and have a great night. Go Royals!